the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Christ is now homeward we go. Be strong in the Lord. Be not as children tossed to and fro. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Good hills on all and fight the good fight. Be steadfast and faithful. Stand for the right. Be strong in the Lord. The enemy seeks now for you to devour. Be strong, Be strong in the Lord. Be vigilant always each day and each hour. Be strong, strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord in the power of His might. Good news on our own and fight the good fight. Be steadfast and faithful. Stand for the right. Be strong in the Lord. Good off the old man his power evade be strong in the Lord good on the new man the spirit has made be strong in the Lord you who were darkness walk now in his light be strong in the Lord redeeming the time in his love now dear light be strong in the Lord be strong in the Be strong in the Lord. That takes a decision. And it takes action on your part. Jesus did his part on Calvary. It was finished there. Now the question is, will you be strong in him? Today we have a amazing story to share with you. It's an early Christian story from the year 203, 200 years after Jesus. We want to share this story with you as a base for understanding what the apostolic faith was all about and about the desperate need for the church to win the world. There's a reason why we're not winning the world today because we have become like the world. There must be a change, a dramatic change. 
So let's share this story, this amazing story. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We're Alexandra and Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. The story we're sharing today is called The Passion of St. Perpetua, St. Felicitas, and Their Companions. Two things that I just want to explain before I read the account. First, you will hear the term catechumen. These five who were arrested at the time of their arrest for their faith, they were catechumens. We actually find this term in the book of Galatians 6.6, 6, where it says, I'm reading from the Common English Bible, those who are taught the word, that word there in the Greek is the Greek equivalent of catechumen, should share all good things with their teacher. Now, the way that the early church quickly moved into setting up how people came into the church, they were in a period of intense persecution. There was a danger of betrayal, of apostasy. And so what we see even by the time Paul was writing to the Galatians is they had set up this system where there were inquirers, people who just wanted to learn more. Then there were catechumens, which is people who had repented of their sin, they had left their pagan traditions, they had left all immorality, and they were receiving instruction in the Christian faith before they were baptized. So these catechumens were considered Christians, but they weren't considered part of the faithful, which were the baptized, and as such they weren't admitted to communion. There was some debate as to whether you could be saved if you had not yet been baptized, but the idea was when you were baptized, after you were put in the water, the elders would lay hands on you and you would then receive the Holy Spirit. That's the second thing you'll see reference to in this story. After their arrest, they have a few days in which they're able to be baptized and she speaks of receiving the Holy Spirit during that time. So I'll read the story. This is from the year 203 and occurred in the, the great African city of Carthage. During the persecutions ordered by the Emperor Severus, that five catechumens were arrested for their faith. The group consisted of a slave named Revocatus, his fellow slave, Felicitus, who was a woman, and was expecting the birth of a child. She was pregnant at the time of her arrest. Two free men named Saturninus and Secundulus, and a matron of 22, 22 years old, named Vivia Perpetua. And Perpetua was the wife of a man in good position and the mother of a small infant. Perpetua's father was a pagan. Her mother and two brothers were Christians, and one of the brothers was a catechumen. Those five prisoners were soon joined by their instructor in the faith, Saturus, and he chose to share their punishment with them. At first, all of them were kept under strong guard in a private house. Perpetua wrote a vivid account of what happened. These are her own words. While I was still with my companions, and my father in his affection for me was trying to turn me from my purpose by arguments and so weaken my faith. Father, said I, do you see this vessel, this water pot, or whatever it may be? 
Can it be called by any other name than what it is? No, he replied. So also, I cannot call myself by any other name than what I am, a Christian. Then my father, provoked by the word Christian, threw himself on me as if he would pluck out my eyes, but he only shook me and in fact was vanquished. Then I thanked God for the relief of being, for a few days, parted from my father, and during those few days we were baptized. The Holy Spirit bade me, after the holy rite of baptism, to pray for nothing but bodily endurance. A few days later, we were lodged in the prison, and I was much frightened because I had never known such darkness. What a day of horror! Terrible heat, owing to the crowds, rough treatment by the soldiers. To crown all, I was tormented with anxiety for my baby. But Tertius and Pomponius, those blessed deacons who ministered to us, paid for us to be moved for a few hours to a better part of the prison, and we obtained some relief. All went out of the prison, and we were left to ourselves. My baby was brought, and I nursed him, for already he was faint for lack of food. I spoke anxiously to my mother on his behalf, and encouraged my brother, and commended my son to their care. For I was concerned when I saw their concern for me. For many days I suffered such anxieties, but I obtained leave for my child to remain in the prison with me, and when relieved of my trouble and distress for him, I quickly recovered my health. My prison suddenly became a palace to me, and I would rather have been there than anywhere else. My brother then said to me, Lady sister, you are now greatly honored, so greatly that you may well pray for a vision to show you whether suffering or release is in store for you. And I, knowing myself to have speech of the Lord for whose sake I was suffering, promised him confidently, Tomorrow I will bring you word. And I prayed, and this was shown to me. I saw a golden ladder of wonderful length, reaching up to heaven, but so narrow that only one at a time could ascend. And to the sides of the ladder were fastened all kinds of iron weapons. There were swords, lances, hooks, daggers, so that if anyone climbed up carelessly or without looking upwards, he was mangled and his flesh caught on the weapons. And at the foot of the ladder was a huge dragon, which lay in wait for those going up and sought to frighten them from the ascent. The first to go up was Satorus, who of his own accord had given himself up for our sakes, that is, their teacher, because our faith was of his building, and he was not with us when we were arrested. He reached the top of the ladder, and turning said to me, Perpetua, I wait for you, but take care that the dragon does not bite you. And I said, In the name of Jesus Christ, he will not hurt me. And the dragon put out his head gently, as if afraid of me, just at the foot of the ladder. And as though I were treading on the first step, I trod on his head. And I went up and saw a vast garden, and sitting in the midst a tall man with white hair and the dress of a shepherd, milking sheep, and round about were many thousands clad in white, 
he raised his head and looked at me and said, Thou art welcome, my child. And he called me and gave me some curds of the milk he was milking, and I received them in my joined hands and ate, and all that were around said, Amen. At the sound of the word I awoke, still tasting something sweet. I at once told my brother, and we understood that we must suffer, and henceforth began to have no hope in this world. After a few days, there was a report that we were to be examined. My father arrived from the city, worn with anxiety, and came up the hill, hoping still to weaken my resolution. Daughter, he said, pity my white hairs. Pity your father, if I deserve you should call me father. If I have brought you up to this, your prime of life, if I have loved you more than your brothers, make me not a reproach to mankind. Look on your mother and your mother's sister. Look on your son who cannot live after you are gone. Forget your pride. Do not make us all wretched. None of us will ever speak freely again if calamity strikes you. So spoke my father in his love for me, kissing my hands and casting himself at my feet, and with tears calling me by the title not of daughter, but of lady. And I grieved for my father's sake, because he alone of all my family would not have joy at my martyrdom. And I tried to comfort him, saying, What takes place on that platform will be as God shall choose, for assuredly we are not in our own power, but in the power of God. But he departed full of grief. The following day, while we were at our dinner, we were suddenly summoned to be examined and went to the forum. The news of the trial spread fast and brought a huge crowd together in the forum. We were placed on a sort of platform before the judge, who was Hilarion, procurator of the province since the proconsul had lately died. The others were questioned before me and confessed their faith. But when it came to my turn, my father appeared with my child, and drawing me down the steps besought me, Have pity on the child. The judge Hilarion joined with my father and said, Spare your father's white hairs. Spare the tender years of your child. Offer sacrifice for the prosperity of the emperors. They wanted her to burn incense to the emperor. I replied, No. Are you a Christian? asked Hilarion. And I answered, Yes, I am. My father then attempted to drag me down from the platform, at which Hilarion commanded that he should be beaten off and he was struck with a rod. I felt this as much as if I myself had been struck, so deeply did I grieve to see my father treated thus in his old age. The judge then passed sentence on us all and condemned us to the wild beasts, and in great joy we returned to our prison. Then, as my baby was accustomed to the breast, I sent Pomponius the deacon to ask him of my father, who, however, refused to send him. And God so ordered it that the child no not longer needed to nurse, nor did my milk inconvenience me. Secundulus seems to have died in prison before the examination. Before pronouncing sentence, Hilarion had Saturus, Saturninus, and Revoticus, that is the three men who were arrested, scourged, 
and Perpetua and Felicitas, the two women, beaten on the face. They were then kept for the gladiatorial shows, which were to be given for the soldiers on the festival of Gaeta, the young prince whom his father Severus had made Caesar four years previously. While in prison, both Perpetua and Saturus had visions, which they described in writing in great detail. The remainder of the story was added by an eyewitness. Felicitas had feared that she might not be allowed to suffer with the rest because pregnant women were not sent into the arena. However, she gave birth in prison to a daughter, whom one of their fellow Christians at once adopted. Pudens, their jailer, their jailer was by this time a convert and did all he could for them. The day before the games, they were given the usual last meal, which was called the free banquet. The martyrs strove to make it an agape, or love feast, and to those who crowded around them they spoke of the judgments of God and of their own joy in their suffering. Such calm courage and confidence astonished the pagans and brought about many conversions. On the day of their martyrdom, they set forth from the prison. Behind the men walked the young nobleman Perpetua, abashing the gaze of all with the high spirit in her eyes, and beside her the slave Felicitas. At the gates of the amphitheater, the attendants tried to force the men to put on the robes of the priests of Saturn, and the women the dress symbolic of the goddess Ceres, but they all resisted, and the officer allowed them to enter the arena dressed as they were. Perpetua was singing, while Revoticus, Saturninus, and Satyrus were calling out warnings to the bystanders and even to Hilarion himself as they walked beneath his balcony, warnings of the coming vengeance of God. The mob cried out that they should be scourged for their boldness. Accordingly, as the martyrs passed in front of the hunters, each received a lash. To each one, God granted the form of martyrdom that he had desired. Saturus had hoped to be exposed to several sorts of beasts, that his sufferings might be intensified. He and Revocatus were first attacked half-heartedly by a leopard. Saturus was next exposed to a wild boar, which turned on his keeper instead. He was then tied up on the bridge in front of a bear, but the animal refused to stir out of his den, and Saturus was reserved for one more encounter. The delay gave him an, gave him an opportunity to turn and speak to the converted jailer, Pudens. You see that what I desired and foretold has come to pass. Not a beast has touched me. In this way, believe steadfastly in Christ. And see now, I go forth yonder, and with one bite from a leopard, all will be over. As he had foretold, a leopard was now let out, sprang upon him, and in a moment he was fatally wounded. Seeing the flow of blood, the cruel mob cried out, He is well baptized now. Dying, Satyrus said to Pudens, Farewell, remember my faith and me, and let these things not daunt, but strengthen you. He then asked for a ring from Pudens' finger, and dipping it in his own blood, 
returned it to the jailer as a keepsake. He then died. Perpetua and Felicitas were exposed to a mad heifer, that is a cow. Perpetua was tossed first and fell on her back, but raised herself and gathered her torn tunic modestly about her. Then, after fastening up her hair, lest she look as if she were in mourning, she rose and went to help Felicitas, who had been badly hurt by the animal. Side by side they stood, expecting another assault, but the audience cried out that it was enough. They were therefore led to the gate called Santa Viveria, where victims who had not been killed in the arena were dispatched by gladiators. Here, Perpetua seemed to arouse herself from an ecstasy and could not believe that she had already been exposed to a mad heifer until she saw marks of her injuries. She then called out to her brother and to the catechumen, Stand fast in the faith and love one another. Do not let our sufferings be a stumbling block to you. By this time, the fickle populace was clamoring for the women to come back into the open. This they did willingly, and after giving each other the kiss of peace, they were killed by the gladiators. Perpetua had to guide the sword of the nervous executioner to her own throat. The stories of these martyrs has been given in detail because it is typical of so many others. Amen. I've been reading stories of the martyrs. And what has so marked my heart is that they had given up all hope in this world. They had no hope for this world. Their eyes were on heaven. Their eyes were on Jesus. I confess today, I have no hope in this world. I belong to another world. We belong to another world. By God's grace, we don't face the death penalty. The day may come when we will. This primitive Christian faith, this absolute giving of oneself to Jesus Christ, marked the early church. And it was not until the Roman Empire became a Christian, so-called an apostate, and he began to appoint bishops who were wicked and money and influence began to flow into the church the persecution stopped that's when the church began to collapse in wickedness there are many powerful things in this story for example these were Christians who at the time of their arrest hadn't even become full members of the church yes. and yet the instruction they had received had prepared them to fully give themselves even to suffer with joy for the sake of Christ and this is in stark contrast to what many of you have been taught today and we see such a fortitude 
and a boldness even leading to many conversions of the jailer, of those who came to their last meal, these Christians were fulfilling the Great Commission every hour of their life up until the very end. That one man who dipped the jailer's ring in his own blood, the last act he did on earth was to encourage this new Christian to continue in the faith. I mean, that's incredible. And so we come today calling you to give up all hope in the world and to convert the world, to take up the mantle of the Great Commission and win people to our wonderful Savior and teach them how to walk in Jesus with great boldness to lay aside everything of lukewarmness, to be on fire for Jesus. Now, when we go to the scriptures in the Acts of the Apostles in the third chapter, we shared with you the story of Peter and John as they went to the temple. And there at the gate beautiful lay this, this lame man, 40 years old, lame from his mother's birth. He, he'd been a beggar all of his life. And he looks for alms. And Peter, he said to him, let's see if I can find it quickly. Um, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. Do you have that to give to a lame beggar? Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in power? Or would you pull out a dollar and hand it to the man? This man was healed by the name of Jesus Christ. And I recognize today that I'm that lame man. And you're that lame man. If we have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are yet the lame man. And unable to carry out our mission, which is the Great Commission. To win the world, to teach the world, to teach men and women how to be disciples of Jesus and how to obey everything he ordered. Now, everyone came rushing to see this incredible sight of this lame man whom they'd all passed many times and probably given money to. And now he's laughing and shouting and dancing and he's holding on to Peter and he's holding on to John And they're going into the temple courtyard where he's never been allowed to go before because he was lame and lame were not allowed to enter. So as they enter, they're looking at Peter as though by his own power, he has made this happen. And he begins to preach. We find it in chapter 4. As he concludes his message of repentance, 
turning away from iniquities. The priest and the captain of the temple, that is, the armed soldier, and the Sadducees, they all come and they grab physically Peter and John. I'm sure they were rough. And they threw them in jail because it was evening. This whole story began at the time of evening prayer at three o'clock. But now it's getting dark. So they're thrown in jail. And it says in Acts, the fourth chapter, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about 5,000. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Ananias the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. Now, just a quick note. Ananias had been the high priest, but the Roman Empire, emperor or his representative had fired him and appointed his son-in-law, Caiaphas. His real name was Joseph, but he went by Caiaphas. And John and Alexander, this was a political dynasty. These were not religious men in the sense of godly men. They were religious in the sense of Jewish power. They asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? That's in chapter 4, verse 7. Then Peter, and I want you to notice this, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by which means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. They are incredibly bold. They know they could be executed. They do not know what the future holds. They said, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner or the cornerstone. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. Does that mean that the Hindus do not reach God? Yes. Does it mean the Muslims don't reach God? Yes, because they don't worship the God of heaven. Allah is not the same as the Creator God. And the only way they could reach God is through Jesus. What about the Buddhist? The same is true. Salvation is not owed to us. God is not 
in debt to us. We owe God. And we all on earth are under a sentence of absolute condemnation and death for our sin. Jesus opened a gateway by which all men can be saved. They're boldly proclaiming to these leaders of the Jewish nation, you cannot be saved by offering the blood of bulls and goats. There is only one way, and his name is Jesus. Now, when they see the boldness of Peter and John, they knew they were unlearned and ignorant men. That is, these men had never sat in the schools of the Sanhedrin. They marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. For three years at least, these men had sat under the greatest teacher the world has ever known, Jesus, the Son of God. Now, standing with them is the man who was healed. And they're nonplussed. They don't know what to do. What can they do to Peter and John for bringing this wonderful miracle to this man that everyone knew had lain for so many years at the gate beautiful? They couldn't deny the miracle. He was standing in front of them. So they threaten them. And they command them. Do not speak in the name of Jesus. Don't make us guilty of his blood. But they were guilty of his blood. You can't make a thing that is so that it's not. Reality rules the day. And they answer, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, Judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing of how they might punish them because of the people. They were afraid the people would stone them. The people were glorifying God for this incredible miracle. And many chose to believe in Jesus because of this miracle. So they went, in verse 24, back to their people. And the people lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Remember, the church is an assembly. It's a prayer meeting. And this is prayer at its very finest. They said, Lord, thou art God. Do you want to read this prayer out of this modern version? Yes, this is Acts chapter 4, verses 24 onward. Master, you are the one who created the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You are the one who spoke by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers gathered together as one against the Lord and against his Christ. Indeed, 
both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with Gentiles and Israelites, did gather in this city against your holy servant or holy child, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and plan had already determined would happen. Now, Lord, take note of their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with complete confidence or boldness. Stretch out your hand to bring healing and enable signs and wonders to be performed through the name of Jesus, your holy servant. After they prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking God's word with confidence. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting where the pastor prayed this way? Have you ever been in a prayer meeting where the church, like a volcano, began to erupt in travailing prayer, asking for boldness to speak the word of God in the face of threats of death? Perpetuous in this story was on solid ground. Yes, this is exactly what we saw happen 100, 150 years later with the story of Perpetua and her companions is they had this bold faith response to the persecution. It didn't matter that they were facing being ripped apart by wild animals. They took this same kind of faith stand of saying, Lord, take note of their threats and then what? And enable your servants to speak your word with complete confidence. They're not praying for personal deliverance. They're praying that they would have the power to heal the signs and wonders of God and boldness to speak the word of God so that the gospel can go forward. So that men and women and children can continue to be converted and brought into the faith. But if you care more about whether your friends hold you in high esteem than you care about the name of Jesus, you will not speak to them with boldness. I mean, it's rather shameful. We look at these early martyrs who, rather than burn incense, would suffer this cruel death. And yet we see so often compromise happening with people saying, well... I couldn't speak to that person at work because I might get fired. Or I don't want to talk to my mom because she always gets angry. I mean, we've just really fallen far short of the, of the standard of the original Christian faith. And we have such need for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, for that boldness and for that power to be victorious in our testimony of Jesus. I'm deeply disturbed by the prayers that I hear. There's no, no request for signs and wonders, no request for the Holy Spirit to give them boldness, and of course, nothing happens. The church is not shaken. There's no powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. Everything is about my hope in the world, your hope in the world. 
And so we pray and we ask God to bless us in our jobs and we ask him to bless us in our, in our strategies and plans. I don't. I'm asking for the full Pentecost baptism of the Holy Spirit. What we're speaking of is a resignation to do and to suffer the entire will of God, where you say, it doesn't matter what happens to me. The Apostle Paul said, I don't count my own life as anything. You're committed, you're going to do the will of God, and whatever happens to you, you're not going to be turned off course, but you're going to press forward. Now, if this is going to be a part of your life, if you're going to give your life entirely to Jesus, you are going to need to exercise what Jesus said. <clears throat> Pardon me. He said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Well, there is the need of a practice of self-denial. There is a desperate need for the finances, for the men and women. There is a desperate need for the word of God to go forth to every nook and corner of the world where human beings are and to proclaim to them the gospel of salvation. Yes, in other words, it takes money to go to Nigeria and build out a radio station to reach local people who are not easily accessed by missionaries because everything has to be traveled by boat. It takes money to send men and women to Tibet or to the highlands of South America where there are remote villages. It takes money to advocate for the religious freedom of North Korea. There's such a need on every hand for the gospel work to go forward. And the only way that we're going to finance that is by practicing self-denial. I can't live a luxurious American life and still afford to make this kind of work go forward. It requires a lot of money. And you, the number one thing you'll hear from Christian ministries is that they are lacking money to meet the needs that are there. You can look at Christian Freedom International. They have a house for the blind, for blind Christians in Bangladesh who've been persecuted. And they're unable to take in all of the people because there's just not enough money. And this is pretty standard across the work of missions is there's always a lack of funding there's more work to be done than there is money to do it. Now, how are they going to get those funds? It's going to be by your average, normal Christian making some sacrifices. Look at this radio broadcast. There's no reason why this broadcast is not airing on the FM side of the dial for a much larger group of people, except sacrifices required. It's much more expensive. This month already, we're going to be pushing $4,000. It's our, one of our most expensive months. And yet, if I talk about money, it's pastors always talking about money. Well, 
self-sacrifice is required for the work of the gospel. And it takes basic money to go to the grocery store for God's servants who are not on salary, and we're not on salary. It takes resources to survive while we do the work of the gospel. I'm very grateful to those of you who last month we did not do an offertory because several people stepped forward and gave very large sums to help cover the cost. But in spite of that, many of you this month who are regular givers have been sending offerings to help pay for the month of August. I want to thank you for that. Yes, we're so grateful and encouraged to see your mail show up in the box. We check every day. And when there's nothing in the box, we pray, oh God, fill the box as you desire and cover the cost of this radio broadcast. It's a small voice in a big city. But oh God, it's the only voice we have. So we're going to remain faithful. Now it requires also patience in the performance of the work and Alexandra and I have been exercising great patience because we know that we cannot accomplish anything for the kingdom of God without suffering patience, letting it do its work in our hearts so that we know that whatever happens was done in the might and in the power of our Lord Jesus. In other words, we only want to work not by human power and human flesh. We want to walk in the spirit of the living God. This is his work. And so it requires waiting upon the Lord. And we have great confidence in this waiting because we finally see and understand that it is God's will to convert the world. It is his will that men and women and children everywhere should come to become Christians. And so that means that as long as Washington, D.C. exists, that it's God's will to make it a righteous city. It's God's will to make it a Christian city. And so we have this promise of Christ. It says that he should neither fail nor be discouraged till he had set judgment in the earth. So we remember these things so that we don't go into fault-finding, into discouragement, because those things will grieve the Spirit of God, and it, it's self-defeating. You defeat your own success when you go into the discouragement or into the unbelief. And so we stand by faith, in good cheer, absolutely trusting in Jesus, because our only hope is in Jesus. He's the one who moves in your heart to give. He's the one that convicts you of the need for the work of the gospel. And some of you, you sacrifice for real every month. And the reward of Jesus is with you. It's exciting to me. And related to this, we must not only have patience, but perseverance, which is learning to hold on to the promises of God, 
and be courageous yes. until God strengthens our hands and our hearts to the work at hand. We see this there. You can read the account of Moffat in Africa. I recently read a, an account of a missionary who was very successful in his native country, I think of Ireland. He was called to go to China. And when he went to China, it was for some reason as if all the Holy Spirit power was gone. He had been leading revivals for years in his native country. And yet when he came to China, he preached, he did all the things he normally did, and there was virtually no response. And it took him several years of really praying and wrestling before that same Holy Spirit power came to China, the way that it had come in his native country. And incidentally, Hudson Taylor ended up meeting this man while he was in China. And Hudson Taylor was greatly positively influenced in his own mission work by his relationship with this man. And we see this over and over in the story of the Congo revival and the story of the Argentine revival. Yes. I don't know why. But there is often a long waiting period where we have to persevere and say, I'm not going to give up. I know God has called me here. I know that God intends to send revival and I'm not going to budge. We're going to be telling you later in more detail the story Chasing the Dragon. It's the story of a young woman who graduated with a with a master's degree in oboe and became very convicted that she should become a missionary. And so she talked with someone she knew, how do I do this? And he said, buy the ticket on the boat and when you pray and the Lord tells you to get off the boat, that's where you're supposed to minister. So that's exactly what she did. She thought she was going to Africa. In fact, she ended up in Hong Kong and the Lord said, get off the boat here. And she started an incredible ministry. She got a job as a teacher in a, a British school. And then she started her ministry, St. Stephen's. And it was to opium addicts. Uh, St. Stephen's is now a far-flung, incredible ministry of God breaking the opium addiction cold turkey by prayer the miraculous salvation of countless numbers yes many are healed many are brought into homes imagine you've grown up in a life of utter poverty and have and have only known addiction prostitution you're converted and now what happens well what they do is they have christians and you can volunteer to do this right now with a minimum of a two-year commitment what they have is christians living in homes with these new converts and literally teaching them how to live how to be christians it's a very intense intimate family kind of discipleship and we praise god that this is happening now, obviously, if we're going to win the world, we're going to have to pray. And literally, we need to be praying, not just for Washington, D.C., but to pray for the world. Remember the Lord's Prayer? 
our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord taught us to pray for the whole earth, for the world, for the power of God to come. So constant prevailing prayer must become the very breath of our life in Jesus Christ. I'm being told we have only two minutes left. We're going to continue this tomorrow. You know, it's such a blessing to come and talk with you about Jesus. And I'm so eager to hear from you. Would you write to us? The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That address again, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Please visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You can listen to this message again, as well as past messages. You can contact us through the website. We'd love to hear from you. And you can also follow us on YouTube. You can subscribe to our channel, National Prayer Chapel Pilgrim's Progress, and on Facebook and Twitter at National Prayer Chapel. You can also give online, nationalprayerchapel.com. Just click on the button and it'll take you to PayPal. God bless you, my brother, my sister. Pray. Seek the face of Jesus. Ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Pray. Don't back away. Lay aside the things of this world and seek after Jesus. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.